Welcome to episode number 313 of Category 5 Technology TV. It's Tuesday, the 17th of September, 2013. Great to see you. Nice to have you here. My name's Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Becca Ferguson. Hey, Becca. My beautiful wife. <laughs> it's nice to have you on the show again. Nice to be here. Yeah. What's coming up? Uh, coming up in the newsroom, Microsoft is trying to bribe iPad users to switch to a Surface tablet, and they're paying them to do so. Hmm. Um, Valve is going to start allowing users to share the games they've purchased on Steam. A teenage hacker has mastered the work-from-home, get-rich-quick scheme, raking in $50,000 a month. What? Before his arrest. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and soon, workers in Europe will be able to suit up in a robotic exoskeleton. Some would say it's for safety, and but we think it's for awesomeness. <laughs> Stick around. These stories are coming up later in the show. Excellent. Hey, remember uh, you were here on episode 307. This is like twice in as little as a couple couple months. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, hey, last time Becca was here on episode number 307 of Category 5, we started looking at how to convert an actual physical computer into a virtual machine. Tonight we are doing part two of two. We're going to make it go. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. EcoAlkalines, we believe you should be able to trust your batteries not just here, but here, here, and here. But with one exception, you should also be able to trust your batteries here. EcoAlkalines are the world's first and only certified carbon-neutral battery manufactured to the highest standards of recycling and quality, without any trace amounts of harmful chemicals like mercury, lead, or cadmium. EcoAlkalines provide performance that rivals leading national alkaline battery brands at a comparable price. Find out more about the EcoAlkalines difference. EcoAlkalines.com This is Category 5.TV. Category 5.TV is a member of the TED, uh, Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. And the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Becca, I'm so excited. Why? <laughs> Star Trek Renegades oh. made a lot of money on their Indiegogo um, campaign. Becca and I have been... I mean, we're just waiting for the next Star Trek. Eh? We watched Next Generation first. Then we watched, what, Deep Space Nine? Voyager. Voyager next. Mm-hmm. Then Deep Space Nine. Then Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And here we are. There's no Star Trek left. There's nothing going on. What are we going to do to satisfy that Star Trek void? Well, we've been watching a lot of Stargate. Yeah, we've been watching Stargate as a replacement. So that's good. It's nice to have many, many mm-hmm. seasons of that. We're only, what, season seven of SG-1? Yeah, I believe so. And then we've got Atlantis after that and all that kind of stuff. But really, I mean, it really boils down to we're trying to fill that void of Star Trek. And Star Trek Renegades is a pilot episode for a new, a possible, a potential new series uh, being produ- uh, directed by Tim Russ, the guy who played Tuvok on Voyager. Um, so it's it's legit. I mean, it's got some of the people from Voyager. It's got uh, even one guy from uh, from Stargate SG-1 as well. Um, and, you know, they're they're... It's not just some you know fan made kind of thing, and the, there's no, a place no, for those too. No, no, it has some of the actual stars. The in real it. deal. Mm-hmm. 
So they were looking to raise $20,000 to make it happen. And of course, you know, if, if we can beat that and beat that and beat that, then we can do this, this, and this. And they got like 180 something thousand dollars. Um, so they're well on the way to, to being able to put together the pilot mm-hmm. and then pitch it to the station and hope for the best. So that's the next step. Can't wait to hear more. <laughs> but cat5.tv slash Star Trek takes you to their Indiegogo profile. It tells you all about this, the the pilot, what they're pitching, what they're going to be putting together, and then we'll just have to watch that, I guess, to find out what the studio says and whether they're going to actually go forward and turn it into a Star Trek uh, series. Yeah, here's amazing. hoping. <laughs> yeah, it takes place just after Voyager, like 10 years after, 14 years after Voyager, I think it was. You'll find out on that site, cat5.tv slash Star Trek. Okay, so we've got uh, our mobile site up and running for you. It's m.cat5.tv. All you have to do is just visit that website. There it is, m.cat5.tv. Scan that code. That will bring up our mobile site. We've got uh, live audio streaming, video streaming live. We've got on-demand video as well. If you want to watch back episodes, you can do them right there on our mobile website. Uh, that's pretty awesome. So, And the other night, Becca said to me... Uh, the the server room's making some strange noises tonight. You might want to go check it out, find out what's going on. And I said, oh, that's not weird. That's just the new transcoder servers. Uh, the the new server is up and running. I got a power supply for an old server. We had this old server that was kicking around in the garage. Somebody had donated it a long time ago. And uh, that was back before we had built the new server that we're currently running when our server was dying. And so they gave us a server and said, see if this one will work for you. Unfortunately, it didn't work for broadcasting. It wasn't powerful enough, but it is a really powerful system. It's been sitting in storage for ever since then. We never had a use for it. So got a new power supply for it, uh, got it up and running. That was all that it needed, a hard drive and a power supply. And I've got it using uh, running our new transcoder. And what that basically means is super fast um, uh, uh, turnaround of episodes. So that means uh, when the episode is over tonight, the show, if all goes well, because this week is our first week running it, uh, the show will be up and running on our website very, very quickly after the show. We're talking anywhere within two hours as opposed to what it used to be was about 16 hours. So, um, And also your downloads, if you're subscribed by the RSS feeds, they're going to be super, super fast. Jot was saying uh, the other day, I think on Monday he was testing with me and, and said, oh, 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 it's so fast. Mm-hmm. That's the new transcoder unit that uh, is powering that for us. So very, very excited about that. If you want to learn more about what it is, why I'm so excited about it and why Becca is just like, huh? <laughs> Go to my blog. It's baldnerd.com. I don't get into a lot of technical details, but uh, I, I did go to all the effort of putting together a, a, a balsamic mock-up uh, diagram to kind of give you an idea why this is so exciting, why it's going to make such a difference for the show, and also how it's going to help us to pay the bills, uh, surprisingly, as well. So um, that's an important thing as we move forward. So. Hey, we've got some new viewers uh, who have registered on the website. Uh, maybe you could tackle uh, a few of those for me. It's on. It's on the list. There okay. they are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lance Hurdler, seventy thirty-two. Nice to have you joining us. Um, God knows. And Don't know who that is, but <laughs> God knows. <laughs> um, no nine to five blogger. Great to have you all uh, joining us. I also got an email, a kind email from No9to5Blogger, just letting us know, hey, you know, here I am. I found you guys. Uh, love the community. Love the show. Where have you been all my life is how they <laughs> ended the email. And I said, we've been right here. 
for the past uh, almost, you know, we're coming up on our seventh season starts in just a couple of weeks, if you can believe that. So um, nice to have you joining us, all three of you, uh, and everyone else who's joining us for the first time this week. And certainly, you know, do as they've done. Go to our website, category5.tv. Register online for the show. You'll get some extra perks. We'll give you a shout-out as well, and uh, you'll be able to participate in some of the contests that are only available to registered viewers. Um, speaking of being able to pay the bills and, and you know the bill, getting this transcoder server up and running, we had the power surge a couple of weeks ago when, when the lightning strike happened, um, and donations really help us with that. I want to thank everybody who has donated this week. It makes a big difference and just helps us to have that cushion and, and just flow of, of donations to be able to put into wherever the need happens to be from week to week. Because um, it does differ, and we are working toward that renovation project as well uh, to build Studio C. Very excited about that. Becca and I were having the conversation, and, well, you made the suggestion, and, and I'm like gung-ho. Chroma key, <laughs> green screen, virtual studios. I can just see it now. Uh, we're working on an Indiegogo campaign, so um, you know, start considering that. It's going to be really exciting. I don't want to give you too much, and Becca's not giving you anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm My prompting lips her are here. Sealed. Yeah, prompting her that you know she can say a little bit. But yeah, just know that we're we're really working toward um, stepping things up for season seven and during season seven. It's not going to happen right off the get go when season seven starts because you know there's quite a bit of stuff that needs to go on. But we're going to be growing over the next little while. It's very very exciting. So. All right, well, you're watching Category 5 Technology TV. It's time to get into the feature for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Nice to uh, have you here and uh, joining us at Category5.tv. Back on episode number 307, Becca joined me, and we talked about how to take your laptop, which is Windows 7, and convert it into a virtual machine because we got to stick Linux on that laptop because the kids want to play Super Tux. Plain and simple, you know? (laughs) So we've got to be able to get that on there. Uh, there are so many different reasons that you'd want to do this. I think server environments are the key one. I mean, server virtualization is fantastic. Being able to take uh, two, three, four servers, physical servers, condense them down into virtual machines and, and virtualize the whole thing on one piece of hardware. You're using less hydro. You're paying less bills. You've got less hardware to fix if something goes awry. If you've got a hard drive that crashes... Sure, it affects all of the virtual machines now instead of just one machine, but you take out the hard drive from the RAID and you replace it and all everything's back up and running. You only have to replace one hard drive. So, you know, if you've got a RAID 1 with two drives, you've only got two drives. If you've got four servers all with two drives and you've got eight drives that could fail. So, you know, ratio-wise, you're probably doing a little bit better, but it just cost-wise. Awesome stuff. So tonight, Becca, we're going to jump right back into that where we left off. All right. All right. <laughs> Sounds I'm going to let her do the teaching tonight. <laughs> not really. <laughs> and if this is, you know, if this is not of any interest to you because it is a little bit tech- techno babbleish, I just made up that word. Copyright it. Can you do that on while we're doing this? Just cop trademark <laughs> it. Um, we're g- we're going to get into you know something that's a little bit technical, but it's it's fun if you will. I've got a lot of emails about episode 307 saying this is a really fun thing to be doing. When are you going to do episode part two and, uh, and get it so that we can actually boot this thing? So here we are. Okay, so backing up to episode number 307, if you can believe it, I actually hit some snags 
near the end of the episode, you'll remember that we kind of we we wanted to boot it up and it wouldn't boot. And so I was thinking, okay, well maybe we need to do a fix MBR. Maybe we need to uh, run through a couple of, you know, maybe even a repair install, whatever it takes to get this thing up and running. And that might work in certain scenarios. But then I got thinking about it and I realized that um, Windows, especially Windows 7, is very, very picky for this. When you install it, it detects your uh, controller card. So the controller that you're using to power, like that your hard drives are plugged into, those are all uh, can they're they're detected at installation time. So if you're if you've installed Windows Seven onto your laptop, which I've done, it detects the the bus that's in that computer and it installs the drivers, but it doesn't it it kind of locks it down to those drivers. So now. If I virtualize it over, like I did in episode 307, and try to put it onto a virtual machine, I might have trouble with Windows saying I can't make it work because the hard drive controller has changed. That's where we hit a snag, and that's where um, tonight we're going to back up just a little ways, and we're going to say, okay, watch episode 307. That's got the real dirt grit of what you need to be able to do uh, but there's one other thing that I want to do and that is to make some changes to your registry which are going to basically loosen things up when it comes to your uh, hard drive controller detection upon boot so then you know if we back up and we do that first and then you do the clone process that I taught in episode 307 then uh, when you copy it back to your virtual machine, when you clone it back to a virtual machine, just like we did in episode 307, everything should boot up just fine without having to go through all the hoops that I would have had to go through tonight if if I hadn't decided, you know what, we're going to back up a little bit and do this a little bit more effect, uh, effectively, more efficiently. So understanding how the hard drive detection process goes and everything and, and realizing that we need to over or change some things in the registry. Uh, there's a, a certain tool that was developed or distributed by a German uh, magazine called CT Computer. And uh, we're going to actually tap into that tonight. I'm going to show you how to do this. So back on that laptop, you remember this screen. The first thing I want to do is actually bring up the registry editor. But uh, So I just type regedit but you don't want to hit enter you want to right click and go run as administrator that's very important you need to be an administrator for this task so first thing I want to do now that I've got red regedit up can you guess just take a guess what do I always do the first thing I do community knows Becca just assumes that it happens and <laughs> she just knows that her stuff is safe why is all your stuff safe because you back it up because I'm very particular about backups right you know that as well as anybody here. So the first thing we want to do, take that. We're going to go file, export. I'm going to just throw this on my desktop. Uh, there we go. Just give it a name. And just make sure that you've selected that all of the keys are going to be exported and then save that. So now we're going to have a backup of our registry because we're about to mess with it. Chances are pretty good we're not going to break anything because we're going to be using this pre-provided registry import but we keep it back up anyways there we go okay so now there's there's a couple of files four files that we need we're going to go into our computer and then system pardon me system root then go into system 32 and drivers and when we're in that folder there are going to be four files that we need to find a tappy.sys so just there you go 
and start typing. The next one is intelide.sys. We just need to make sure that that exists. PCIIDE.sys. And the next one, PCIIDEX.sys. And if all those files are already in there, then we're good to go. Otherwise, you might need to extract those from the cab files on your CD, uh, your installation media for Windows 7, no problem. Now we need to obtain that merge IDE registry key uh, fix, which you can get at cat5.tv slash merge IDE. And that's going to give you the file. And that's uh, specifically just, uh, it contains a few files. Forget about the bat file and all that. Uh, Just grab that reg file. We're going to right-click on it and copy. And I'm just going to put that into my downloads folder just so that I have an extracted copy of the registry file. So now back in my registry editor, which is running as the administrator, I'm going to go File, Import. And you'll see that it's not in my downloads because I'm running as administrator. It's actually... And it might be if you're running as the administrator user. I don't. Um, It's going to be in my users. And then it's in the Becca folder because we're running as Becca. And you see downloads. And there's the file. So now import that file. And we're good to go. And now that that's imported, we're literally at this point ready to proceed with everything else that we taught in episode 370. 370? No, we're not that far. 307. (laughs) Have I said 370 already tonight? Maybe. Hopefully not. Hopefully I said 307. Look for episode 307. If you're looking for episode 370, it's in the future. (laughs) And I don't even know what the topic is yet. Hopefully it's about virtualization because I might have referred you to that. So importing those registry keys, basically just set it up to be a little bit lax with the hard drive auto detection upon boot. So now you go through the steps of episode number 307, exporting that using Clonezilla software, saving it onto an external hard drive or a network uh, Samba share, pardon me, a Samba share or something like that. And then here's where the magic happens. You've imported it into your virtual machine. Let's bring up VirtualBox on my computer here. System Tools, Oracle VM VirtualBox. And you'll recall everything has already happened. um, So... I'm set and ready to go, but I want to walk through just one thing that I touched on during the the last segment uh, on episode 307, and that is the hardware abstraction layer, or HAL. Um, basically, a modern computer has uh, the ability to use um, IO APIC, which is, uh, I guess, a more modern version of PIC which you don't need to understand what all that means. It's, it has to do with the way that your hardware is detected and accessed through your computer and all that. Um, VirtualBox disables IOA PIC by default when you create a virtual machine because it's not quite as uh, performance. Uh, it, it doesn't get as good of performance as just a, with it turned off. So because you've installed, remember you've installed Windows 7 on your hardware, physical hardware. So during that process, Windows probably said, oh yeah, this hardware supports IOAPIC. So I'm going to enable that during the install process. So then it is enabled on my image that is now on my server on a Samba share. So in our virtual machine settings, it's important to say now, because the default is to say no, uh, we want to make sure that it has IOAPIC enabled. And you'll find that in system motherboard. And it's a really, really simple thing to do. But if you're having trouble booting, that's probably what it is. Make sure that enable IOAPIC is turned on. Beyond that, you just kind of go through and just make sure that everything looks like um, 
the way that you would want it. I've turned on 3D acceleration, 2D acceleration, and cranked my video memory up to the max because I want to be able to use aero effects on my Windows 7 computer as well as maybe do some gaming and things like that because that's what that's the only reason that you use Windows, right? Right? Yeah. Okay, bridged network adapter so that uh, you're able to uh, access other computers on your network and things like that and just go through and everything else. You know, it's pretty s- straightforward, standard stuff. So since uh, since running that registry patch, I knew that it was going to be a, a time-consuming process to export the virtual machine again using Clonezilla and re-import it back, but you know those steps from episode number 307. So I've already done them, and I have done nothing else. And I promise you that. Everything has been shown here. So now I've got that re-imported. I imported it this morning just to make sure that everything was going to go okay. There's my Windows 7 laptop. I simply re-imported using the Clonezilla image exactly like I did before. We're going to boot that up for the very first time, and here's what is awesome. And Becca's going to recognize this because uh, she's she's actually still using that laptop right now at this very moment. Here we go. It is the moment of truth, though, isn't it? But you'll see what I'm actually doing here is I'm loading this as a virtual machine. So Windows 7 is loading in a window on my Linux computer. And there it goes. Got a mouse cursor. I'm just moving it around so you can see this is actually a virtual machine. And that screen, you didn't see that last time because uh, I had simply already logged in as Becca. But I'm going to do that. Uh, We're going to log in as you. So that looks just like the laptop screen. There we go. I just do that to mask her password, that's all. So this is the first time we've booted into this virtual machine. Brilliant stuff. And remember that, okay, and there we go. Done and done. So the resolution is down. You'll see that it's picking up new drivers because it's detecting all this new hardware. It's actually virtual hardware on our, our, on our Linux computer. So it's going to pick all that stuff up. Once it's done that, uh, we're going to install the guest additions into VirtualBox. But I just want to show you something here. We've got our test folder, which was in the middle of my screen before we did the image. But there it is. Test folder has got one text file, which we created in episode 307. This is a test file. There it is. And that's a part of our image. Okay, so it looks like all those drivers are in and everything like that. We're just going to bring up this menu at the bottom, which is a part of VirtualBox. And we'll go Devices and... Oh, there it was at the bottom. Install guest additions. That's going to mount a virtual CD to the Windows 7 machine. It may still be detecting graphics cards and things like that. See if it picked it up. There it is. Okay, so it's a virtual CD drive. And there it is. I've got a 64-bit Windows, so I'm going to click on the AMD 64 installer. Uh, you need administrator rights. Okay, so I'm going to right-click on it as before and go run as administrator. So that just prompted me for my password there. Okay, welcome to the guest editions. Because now I'm running a virtual machine, what this does is it installs drivers to allow me to operate this more like a physical machine. It's video drivers so that I can make it fit my uh, my computer screen. It's a mouse driver so that the mouse operates a little bit more accurately. 
And you want to authorize it, we're going to install. Here we go. So this whole process, I mean, it, it takes a little bit of time to get through it. Once it's done, um, you literally have a virtual version of your physical computer. In this case, it's a Windows 7 laptop that we picked up, and we've completely virtualized the entire thing. Now, all of the files, with the way that we've done this, um, all of the files have been transferred over, so I've got all my documents. Everything that was in that computer is now in this virtual machine, and I can actually reformat that laptop after backing up this virtual machine, of course, and uh, I can install Linux on it, and, and I haven't lost that Windows installation or any of the programs that were there. So if you're trapped in a situation where you're using Windows because you're using a particular accounting software or a particular piece of software that you absolutely need for business or for whatever purpose, uh, here you can virtualize that computer, turn it into a virtual machine on your Linux machine, and then wipe out the computer and you're, you're good to go and, and nothing's lost and everything's still working. Okay, so now it's asking me to reboot now that the drivers are done. Let's see what happens now. So if all goes well, those drivers are going to give us a, a virtual graphic card and that is going to allow us to scan, to scale the entire screen uh, with, the, with the video. Here it goes booting up for the first time ever since installing guest editions. This is the real deal, and this is all there is to it, folks. Becca, you look thrilled <laughs> about this. <laughs> She's like, I'm not on camera. He's talking virtualization. I hear enough about this. <sighs> it's booting up. This this is exciting, right? Yeah. <laughs> And for those of you who are listening um, to the audio-only feed, you're, you're missing some of the visuals here. But uh, we are actually booting up into Windows 7 as a virtual machine here. And everything is working flawlessly. This, we're using VirtualBox from VirtualBox.org. That's free software. It's available for you to download and install on your Windows, Mac, or Linux computer. I'm using it on Linux. This is Point Linux. And uh, you can see that now that I've got those graphic drivers installed, notice it's stretched right there when I maximized. If I resize the window, it actually resizes Windows, Microsoft Windows, within that window in such a way that I can use Windows now as an application on my computer. I can close out a virtual box there, and now I've got Microsoft Windows running as an application. So now I can hit the right control key and the F key on my keyboard for full screen mode, and I'm literally running Microsoft Windows exactly as it appeared on that laptop computer. But I am actually running it as a virtual machine on Linux. Yes! Let me know your experience. Let me know how it goes and, uh, you know, follow through. First of all, start with what we started with tonight, okay? Um, so that is Merge IDE and getting your system prepared for the virtualization process. Then go back to episode number 307, follow all the steps there, and then you will have a working system. I... I don't think there's much that could go wrong in a situation like that. But I've had people actually say to me, that no, this is impossible. 
you, a lot you of can't steps do it. <laughs> There's, there are a lot of steps. And I hope that I've done this in a sane way that you can actually follow it. And, and certainly in the show notes, uh, there will be step-by-step directions to help you. But people have said to me that it's not possible. They said, you know what, you need to, if you want to virtualize Windows, you need to back up your files and you need to install Windows 7 into a virtual machine and then move your files into the virtual machine but then you lose all your settings you lose all of the way that it's laid out the way that you had it set up Mm -hmm. and all your user accounts and all that kind of stuff all your passwords possibly and i've just proved that this can be done and it works fantastically well look at that i don't know if arrow works let's that'll be the first question i get let's take a look i'll just bring up two two things Out of the box, I do not appear to have any arrow. But that's that's fine. I don't really care. What is arrow? <laughs> arrow is like uh, the it's it's like Windows attempt at doing comp is effects, cool kind of eye candy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But we do have transparency and everything looks like it should, and it certainly operates well. And all your applications, all your documents, all your files, as you see, are in place. So, can't go wrong. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Thanks for joining us tonight. My name's Robbie Ferguson. I'm Becca Ferguson. Becca, what do you say? About what? (laughs) It's time (laughs) to hit the newsroom and see what's up at newsroom.category5.tv. Lots of exciting stories tonight. Okay. Microsoft has launched a U.S. marketing offer for people to exchange gently used iPads for Microsoft products such as Surface tablets. The company is offering at least a $200 token to go towards products such as the Surface RT and the Surface Pro. Microsoft is far behind Apple in terms of global tablet sales and market share. Hmm. One U.S.-based analyst expressed doubts. Do I think that many people will take Microsoft up on this offer? In a word, no, said Gartner Mobile Device Analyst Van Baker. The app ecosystem is the problem for Microsoft, and this offer does not fix that problem. Ah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. And uh, now I've actually had my hands on uh, a Surface Pro, and i got to admit that the hardware's kind of funky. I do like the fact that the case becomes like a Bluetooth keyboard or however it communicates. Mm -hmm. It works really well that way. But the OS, I can't stand it. No. <laughs> but that's me. And e- even the look of it. I mean, hello. It's a bunch of squares on a gray desktop. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, that just seems like we've stepped back in time to when everything was tables on the internet. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's personal opinion. It certainly is. But the hardware seems cool. But yeah. that's an interesting point about the app e- ecosystem because Apple, I'm sorry, and uh, Google Play has everything that you could ever need. Mm-hmm. Windows, BlackBerry, not so much. Well, Microsoft's $200 gift certificate offer is valid in its brick-and-mortar stores. A Surface RT tablet costs 349 and a Surface Pro re- retails at about 799 Okay. Intriguing. Well, let's take a look at what I got. Oh, yeah. 
Valve is going to let you share your Steam games with family and friends. Get this. The Family Sharing Initiative is going to let users of Steam uh, share their library and games uh, with up to 10 other devices. Other people using that account or those games can actually play the titles, store their very own saved games, uh, their own in-game achievements. And Valve said that a small-scale trial is actually going to be happening mid-month this month. So some of you may already be experiencing the wonders of being able to share your Steam games with family and friends. Kind of opens things up, I think, because Steam as a distribution mechanism is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's like brilliant. It's it's more along the lines of how things should be in today's modern, you know, high speed internet world. Mm-hmm. You should be able just to bring your game up on any device, right? Yeah. But to be able to share it, like you used to be able to share discs, that's kind of cool. Yeah, cool. Who knows what it'll lead to? Mm-hmm. Um, police in Argentina have arrested a 19-year-old man accused of heading a gang of hackers who targeted international money transfer and gambling websites. Hmm. Dubbed the Super Hacker. The, oh, stole my <laughs> that's name. That's a really stole er, my name. original unique yeah. <laughs> name. The Super Hacker. What's your hacker name? <laughs> like, I can just picture as the police are bashing down his door. What's your hacker name? Um, the Super Hacker? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> this super hacker, a teenager, was making $50,000 a month working from his yeah. bedroom in Buenos Aires, police say. Yeah, he's a super hacker if he's doing that. <laughs> wow. The young man lived with his father, a computer expert. And in the teenager's room, officials found high-capacity computers, which allegedly used malware attacks to build up a network, network of thousands of zombie computers, which mm. were then used to illegally divert money from the accounts leaving virtually no trace behind. The teen could spend up to 10 years in jail if he's convicted. Yikes. And the question comes up, I mean, people ask all the time, why do hackers bother to create viruses? Well, there you go. 19-year-old kid, (laughs) $50,000 a month because you let him install a virus on your computer. And by that, I mean, you know, you're running Microsoft Windows. You clicked on a site. Maybe you don't have good antivirus protection or something. But that's huge, mm-hmm. but caught. So obviously he's not the super hacker that he thought he was. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know how he was How he was traced. Tracked down, yeah. How they knew he was called the super hacker. I think that was something <laughs> that he made up on the spot. <laughs> that's my guess. It's not like he <laughs> Couldn't think web- of a cool name. Neil website, was already taken. A website advertising yeah, super himself as the super hacker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Okay, this is a moment that we've all been waiting for. When you can go to work, strap yourself into a robot. We've been waiting for that moment? No. (laughs) But now that you know it's possible, would you not think, wow, huh. This is real, folks. Efforts to develop an exoskeleton for the workplace are underway, and it's funded by the EU. Well, hey, 12 research institutions from seven European countries are involved in the RoboMate project. It's not what it sounds like. RoboMate. It hopes to test a robotic suit that can be worn by factory workers. Uh, And they hope to have this thing ready within three years. Mm. Wow. 
They say the machine could actually reduce the number of work-related injuries. One expert, however, warns that uh, workers would have to be convinced that the bodysuit itself is not going to cause an injury. What would you think of that, of putting this thing on and, and going about your factory work with a robot suit on? Yeah, I'd be uneasy about it. That'd be a little bit odd. A little bit cyber. It looks kind of strange. Um, it, certainly the early mock-ups look fairly basic. The skeleton, of course, being a real person and the suit being the helmet and the exoskeleton. Uh, but we're really hopeful that as they develop this, that it will start to look more like Mech Guy uh, by Akira Tang on DeviantArt. Because who wouldn't want to go to work <laughs> looking like this guy? <laughs> oh, yeah. Factory workers everywhere. Yikes. You never get any work done because you just be too darn scary. <laughs> well, that's it for the news, folks. Get the full stories at category5.tv slash newsroom. This week, the category5.tv newsroom is researched by Roy W. Nash with contributions by our community of viewers. If you have a news story that you think is worthy of on-air mention, email newsroom at category5.tv. For the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Becca Ferguson. Thanks, Becca. I'll give you a chance just to bring up some viewer questions. Uh, in the meantime, I want to let you know that we are looking for salespeople in your area. That means if you'd like to uh, help us by promoting the show, selling <laughs> advertising, and making a uh, commission on the sales, uh, all you have to do is email me. Contact at Category5.tv is where you want to email. Just give us your name and location, and I'll send you more details about how you can get involved. So... Thank you all uh, for your support, and uh, we look forward to working with you. Hey, this is Category 5 Technology TV. Our website is www.category5.tv. We've got your viewer questions. We're going to get through as many as we can. Okay, let's see here. Viewer question from, uh, well, comment, rather, from ABQTKY from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, ABQTKY. <laughs> Um, he says, not a question, just a polite greeting to all the beautiful co-hosts. Oh, okay, you too, Ferguson. Just kidding, okay? <laughs> he meant me, not not the other Ferguson, because <laughs> yeah. this Ferguson over here is the most beautiful of all beauty. So, Anyway, on. he says, you people up there in the North Woods. <laughs> I've been watching Category 5 for a few months, often on Roku, sometimes on the website. In ancient times, I was an OS2 zealot. I've even used CPM mm. a bit. Wow, OS2, that brings back memories. That was back when I was using like DeskView 386, and I was wowed by this operating system that was multitasking and GUI because Windows 3.1 was not multitasking. Mm. It was single task. You could only do one thing at a time. You had to close that or minimize it to mm -hmm. be able to do anything else. And uh, all of a sudden, OS2 was, like, screaming awesome. Sad, man. <laughs> we miss it. Good thing we got Linux. He goes on Thanks to say, memory. he goes on to say, but I'll never admit to knowing who Uncle Clive was. I actually don't know who that is. <laughs> so uh, I guess or I'm safe. Or you just won't admit it? We'll never know. <laughs> I'm going to Google it. Um, the machine I'm on at the present moment, till very recent days, used to run Lin Linux Mint. But then anomalies cool. began developing first with Cinnamon, which I had wanted to try, then even with Mate. 
Right now it has Point Linux. Golly gee, I wonder where I heard about Point Linux. Seems stable, <laughs> so I'm pleased. Yeah, and I love it. Another machine has Mint Cinnamon, stable. Oh, and a little one with Mythbuntu. All right. Since my recent anguish over Mint leading to Point, during which I only lost some stuff, maybe we can forget about remote logins for now. Backup? What's a backup? Okay, okay, enough. Get the show ready. <laughs> Since, yeah. And that's from the Albuquerque Turkey. Thanks, man. Appreciate <laughs> the email. Nice to have you joining us. And uh, love your comments. Cool. Hey, you can email us live at category5.tv if you'd like to send us a note or uh, a question as well. We love to receive your questions. And uh, we will do our best to answer them to the best of our abilities. Your ability, yes. <laughs> not my ability. Well, you can you can take a stab at nothing. it. I Feel know Feel free nothing. to take a stab at it. All right. Next one that's about Linux. I want you to try. I'm not sure that that would be a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> oh, it would be a stab in the dark. That's for sure. So, <laughs> so how handy is it being married to a geek? Just um, kind of works out well when the computer things don't work, and uh, yeah, it works out well for sure. <laughs> it's good to be good at something. Um, okay, so this is a viewer question from Steve. Hey, Steve. Says, uh, oh, well, sorry, it's a comment, not a question. Oh. Um, sorry, <laughs> it doesn't say, oh, well, it's a comment, not a question. He says, enjoyed the show. Neat computer. Thanks for cool. showing how to hook the small computer up. Be careful with all that lighting. Lightning. Lightning. Yeah. Be careful with all that lighting. Lightning. The Rico Magic MK602 we were looking at over the past couple of weeks. Very cool, Steve. Glad you liked it. And yeah, we did pretty well uh, considering how close that that bolt was. <laughs> Didn't uh, we? I, I'm very impressed because at the old studio, you remember we used to go through servers and things quite regularly, and we had mm-hmm. light bulbs explode, and yeah. that was kind of scary. Actually, <laughs> we had uh, we were renting, and we had the landlord come in with electricians and trying to figure out what was happening. But that and wasn't lightning. No, but that a, like we had electrical issues. It, yeah, it was electrical so, issues. So here at Studio C, no Studio, yeah, we're in Studio C. We're working on Studio D. Um, to have lightning strike just outside of the kitchen window and not have anything of any real importance get fried was mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> that's why we run UPSs, folks. Uninterrupted, uninterruptible power supplies. Good ones like. Uh, like we've reviewed here on the show. Check out our green initiatives. You'll learn more about the cyber power, green power, UPSs that we run. Okay, so the next one is a question, and it's from someone named Stan. You sure it's a question? <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Stan. it starts with, hi, I have a question. This had better be a question then. <laughs> <laughs> about the use, uh, using Wirecast. How can sure. I create playlists? Ah. I... The short answer is he can't. Okay, well, next question. All right, next question. (laughs) Wirecast is a source um, broadcasting system. So it's a camera switcher. You're able to switch from one camera to the other. So I can go from here to here to here to wherever I want to go within sources. As far as playing back-to-back sequences of files which I believe that's what you're asking for. Sequences, playlists, are not currently possible with Telestream Wirecast. 
out of the box. Now, some people, what they'll do is they'll set up another computer with, um, say, Windows Media Player or something like that. They'll set up their playlist in Media Player. They'll inst- they'll run Desktop Presenter. They'll push play on Media Player, and they'll bring it in as a source through Desktop Presenter and let the playlist play. That's the workaround, and it works really, really well. Telestream Wirecast version 5 is uh, coming out at the end of this month, and uh, it's been announced that, uh, no, it won't support playlists from what I understand. It's not one of the announced features, but um, Desktop Presenter does support up to 60 frames per second. Um, So Desktop Presenter right now works fantastically well, uh, but to imagine that it's going to be operating at 60 frames per second and it's piping audio, so I, I don't think that you'd have a problem with doing it that way. Um, just doing a screen capture on whatever computer um, on your network as a playlist system. Out of the box, unfortunately, it's not yet supported. Craig has hinted in the in the forums at uh, at Telestream that there's a possibility. Can't go into any details, but the developers know that there's a demand for playlist feature, and without saying anything more, that it may be coming in a future release. We don't really know when that is. Unfortunately, it's not yet. But I hope the workaround will help you. Thanks for the question. Okay, so next one is from Frank from Crossville, Tennessee. Hey, Frank. Nice to have a very global audience again tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a question, I believe. Having been <laughs> a longtime OS X 10 un- user, I recently switched Mac to user. Linux when my iMac died. I Good started. One. I started out with Ubuntu 12.04 LTS in March, then moved to Linux Mint 15 Mate about a month ago, and really love it. I saw the show about Point Linux OS, and I've installed it on an older desktop computer for my grandson to use. It also has the Mate desktop and looks a lot like the Mint that I'm using. Mm -hmm. So my question is... Would there be any upside to move from Mint Mate over to Point Linux Mate, or are they so close to the same that the move just wouldn't be worth the effort? Thanks, and keep bringing us those great mm. Linux-based shows. Well, what is your, your Mint based on? Is it based on Ubuntu, or is it based on Debian? Because I would think that that would be the biggest difference. I know Mint was originally based on Ubuntu. I know that they were bringing out some Debian-based ones as well. If it's based on Ubuntu, then that would be the big difference. Point Linux is based on... Uh, Debian, stable, 7, Wheezy. Uh, so that means it's backed by the Debian repositories. It means that um, there is a really, really solid um, testing cycle that goes through for all packages. So when you run something that's based on Debian, that is solidly based on Debian, like Point Linux, generally speaking, your files, as they come in from the repositories, are going to be tested, stable, very um, rock-solid with something that's based on, um, say, Ubuntu. Sometimes they push out packages a little faster, um, so you get more current software, but it's not necessarily as stable. Um, Not to say that it's not stable. I'm not making that um, assumption, but just to explain a little bit of a difference, sometimes Debian-based systems are a little slower to receive the newer packages because there's more testing that goes into it, and the cycle in order to receive those new packages, it takes a little longer. was that the only question? There was some stuff about... Is it really worth... The question was <clears throat> if there would be any upside. Uh, oh, the upside. One to the other. 
Or would it not be worth the effort? I don't know. Like, I really love, and and Mate is, is like, Gnome 2 brought back to life. And, and so if you're running that on Mint, you're fantastically happy. That's good. I love how easy it was to set up my comp is effects on Point Linux. And sometimes that's, that's getting more and more difficult these days because it's a deprecated piece of software. And, and so, you know, we're starting to see it fizzle out. But fortunately, uh, Peter's done a really great job at Point Linux in, in making it functional and making it work perfectly well. And that helps us with the show because we've got things like desktop zoom. We've got all the, you know, expo and, and all the stuff that you want from your Linux desktop. If you're running, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff and productivity of comp is. So there, there are different, you know, there's not really advantages either way. That's the same basic system. Um, I think that Mint certainly has a larger community, plain and out, you know, outright. Of course, they've been around a lot longer. They're very well known. Um, they've been supported by a large number of people. Point Linux is much smaller. It's very new. Uh, very few people know about it. Uh, we're trying to get the word out because I personally love it, and I think that our community can really take to it. And there's an advantage to that because... It's what I run on the system. So if you're into the show and, and you like to you know ask questions, then I can certainly answer them about Point Linux. But if I answer a question about Point Linux, it's probably the same answer for Mint mm-hmm. and Debian 7. and you Because know, they're all really the same thing at their core, especially if you're running Mate, because that's exactly what I'm doing with Point Linux. It's kind of like the same thing. So it's just who's maintaining the packages, mm-hmm. how well they're doing with it. I think Peter is is doing a fantastic job of maintaining Point Linux and, and making sure that things are stable, and that's really his focus. Refer back to the episode where we talk to him and, and, and learn about what his motivation behind it is, and it's really about making a rock-solid sort of old-school Linux experience where it feels like Linux should have been. And to me, that is, you know, that's a really good um, reason to be doing it. And I think he's doing a fantastic job. So let us know what you decide and how it goes. But I think you'll enjoy either one. Okay. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to decide if it's a comment or a question. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just start reading it. <laughs> you don't need to preface it with, okay, here's a question. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's a comment. Oh, it does have a question mark. It's both. It's both. Okay. What do we do if it's a comment and a question, Robbie? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, Robbie. Thanks for the demonstration. I am quite convinced about the MK602 capabilities. Ah, yes. All right. Who's this coming from? Well, it just says none. From none, it says. Oh. So I don't really think that's... Well, Regards it could be PT. a nickname, but... Uh, yeah, oh, from Pear Tree. Pear Tree. There it is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We, we know Pear Tree uh, right. was... Having trouble, uh, wanted to know that it was actually 1080p. Had a question for us last week. The MK602, which we demonstrated it was. So that's what we're referring to. All right. Carry okay. on. Okay. Sorry. Um, well, it's, he says, I've bought an MK8023 about six months okay. back. The four core unit. Yeah. After reading several reviews, which all promised 80. 1080p support mm-hmm. and it would only s- display 1280 by 720 resolution on a 37 inch full hd tv the mode lines for ni- hmm. 1920 by 1080 are there but when trying to switch the tv screen we just go black for 15 seconds and then return to the previous resolution no way 
The hardware of the MK602 and MK8023 looks similar. Rock chip 3066 chipset, dual core Cortex A9 CPU, and Mali 400 GPU. So, how would I get it to display 1080p? Regards, PT. Pear Tree, do you think there's a possibility? Is there any chance that it's your TV? Because uh, I can't see that being the case. I've run even the initial um, two core. Uh, original unit, the mini PC that we reviewed, I ran that in 1080p mode on the on a TV, and it worked perfectly. So, the, and when your screen goes black, it's like it's trying for a resolution that it doesn't support. Like your TV doesn't support the resolution that it's trying to give you. So, could it? Could you try changing the overscan? I'm not too sure. If you've got that unit, I would try it on a different TV first and foremost in full 1080p just to rule that out and check the specs of your television I don't know what model it is and just find out if uh, if there if it's very f- particular about what um, you know frequency or something that the 1080p signal is is coming from also no you tried an you tried an 802 so you you just plugged it in with one of those short little cables that came with it right um, if you're using an extension cord or something, then I could see maybe the cable could be a problem. Could it also be your power unit? Could it? No, because it comes back. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because it should work in 1080p. I know that the 602 does. I absolutely know that, and I and I showed that on last week's episode. Um, but w- when you buy one and, and put it onto your TV, would it work perfectly with your TV? Because that's an odd situation if your TV actually supports 1080p and it's turning off, going black when... So, don't know what to suggest. Try that 802 on another TV. I'd like you to go out and grab one of these MK602s because I think they're fantastic and it works really well. Um, But the 802 is even more powerful and even uh, a better processor, a better system. The the 602 is very convenient and it has and it's nice having the AV outputs, but the 802 is is more powerful and it should do even better for you. So if you already got one of those, I'd want to rule out why that is not working for you. So sorry, man. Try it on a different TV, okay? And just let me know if and it's got to be a 1080p TV. And just let me know. Check the overscan settings. Make sure that uh, you know adjust them. I don't know if your TV might be m- messing up when overscan is not set. To something that it supports. I'm not too sure. It's a tough one. Okay. Sorry. Here's a question from Old Salt. Hey, Old Salt. Hey, Robbie. Thank you for all the help you give. I followed your advice in episode 308 and now have three partitions. Windows 8, Windows 8 Recovery, and Ubuntu 13.04. Nice. Hope to be dumping Windows 8 sometime in the future. Cool. I installed Compass Fusion, Compass Fusion Extras, and CCSM. I was hoping to get the close window burn, but it doesn't show up in the program. Am I missing a package? What did you install? Compass Fusion, Compass Fusion Extras, and CCSM. Um, I presume you mean the, the plugin extras? I'm going to bring up my package manager here and refer back to the episode where we looked at Point Linux because we did um, demonstrate all this stuff as well. But let's take a real quick look here. Um, the package may not be the problem. It may be that you don't have the extra um, stuff turned on. 
Compass Fusion Plugins Extra. That is the additional stuff. Okay, so that has to be installed. But then once you've got, so you've got CCSM, which is Compass Config Settings Manager installed. So bring that up and type animations or anim and you see animations add-on that has to be turned on otherwise animations will not have the extra effects and I'll demonstrate that for you here old salt I'm gonna turn off animations add-on now I'm gonna click on animations and you'll see that if I change my open effect I have that okay no burn Okay, so now I'm going to cancel that, go back, I'm going to turn on animations add-on, that came in with the uh, extras, uh, the plugins extra package. I've turned that on now, I can go back into animations, and when I double-click, you'll see that the list is much more extensive, and it has the burn plugin. Okay, so that's probably what's happening. Maybe you've installed the right package, but you just have not turned on animations add-on in Comp is Config Settings Manager. That will likely do it for you, so... And there are a ton of other stuff. A ton, is, that's really poor grammar. I'm sitting beside an author. A ton of other stuff. A ton stuff. of other stuff. She's going to smack me. <laughs> um, there, there are a lot of other awesome animation plugins that are available <laughs> through that. So you get things like being able to make your screen fold up into a paper airplane and fly off when you close a window. You know, all these kind of things. I like the burn and smoke and, and uh, the beam up when I open windows. And you can play around with it and have a lot of fun. And it's just eye candy, but it makes it a little more fun to work with your computer. It makes things seem really, really zippy, too. Like mm-hmm. the beam up, I set it to a very th- short threshold. So it just is like... <laughs> and it, it's like it, things are just zapping their way onto my screen, and it just makes it feel really fast. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say about it. <laughs> Thanks, Old Salt. <laughs> Hope that helped. Makes you happy. If it makes me happy, you know. Being small able to things and use small no. <laughs> Thanks, dear. No, seriously, there's something there's gotta be something said about that. Look. There's my desktop. I'm gonna bring up a terminal window. Does your terminal window do that? Awesome. Does it do that? <laughs> no. If you're on Windows, you're probably thinking, how does he do that? This is Linux. Awesome. <laughs> Okay, last question for tonight. I guess we are almost out of time. It's from Sir Wences. Hey, yeah. I have only been aware of your show for a week or so, but I've been trying to catch up the last year online. Awesome. Reviewing your show notes, I don't see any references to elementary OS, which I have installed on one of my computers. What do you think of EOS? It has some idiosyncrasies, but I think sure. it's a brilliant distribution, very iconoclastic. Uh, well, I think what's you know what do I think of it? So uh, I think that it's a you know it's a young project. I mean, it's been around for I think under a year, just under a year. But the, I like, I love Linux. I love that different flavors of Linux can be birthed for different purposes and different you know um, communities, different reasons. Point Linux, like I say, because he's keeping with this old style look to the operating system i really really love it because i'm a little bit old school but uh you might like eos because it's a little bit newer and funkier and but they're doing some really cool stuff like using uh you know more modern file systems instead of ext3 ext4 so um you know that you you get an out-of-the-box system that maybe is a little bit more high tech but there's a place for every linux distribution (laughs) 
Except for the one that I tried to make. That was a fail. <laughs> but hey. uh, we haven't looked at it here on the show. Um, just Sir Wences, because you asked uh, why you haven't seen it in the show notes. Uh, we tend to stick with op- with the distros that we look at unless we're doing a feature or doing a review. Uh, we're sticking with Point Linux, for example, right now because it just keeps some consistency so that people aren't confused about, okay, well, how do you do that, that, and that because every week it's a different distro. Mm-hmm. Um, but we could certainly look at it if you'd like us to and, and show it off for the viewers because it is a, it's growing into a fairly impressive distribution. So uh, we'll be excited to see what happens with it. Keep watching Distro Watch and see what happens over the next little while. So... Becca, it's so good to have you here. Thanks for joining me tonight. I know it's a <laughs> uh, it's fun time. And uh, you married a geek. What can you do? Isn't she great? Folks, have a wonderful week. Thanks for being here with us this week. And I'm um, looking forward to seeing you again next week. Let's see what happens with these transcoders. Start timing me. <laughs> have a good one. Take care. Night. Hope you enjoyed the show. Category 5 TV broadcasts live from Barrie, Ontario, Canada every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you're watching this on demand or through cable TV, check out the local showtimes in your area at Category5.tv and find out when you can watch live and interact in the community chat room. Category 5 is a production of Prodigy Digital Solutions and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 2.5 Canada. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. 